0: And so uh, let's give a Columbus welcome to Bobby Conner. Thank, Thank you so much. Please be seated. Everybody okay? Yeah, good. Thank God for his mercy. Aren't you glad he's merciful? Man. And he's faithful. He, he won't leave us. Well, we're glad you're here. Rod and Bridget, we're, they're wonderful friends. They were in the church and the fellowship we had there in Texas, and they're very precious. Bridget used to cut my hair. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Oh, man. Listen, I've had some haircuts. Uh, first time my wife ever saw me, I'd shaved every hair off my head with a razor, and I'd put Vaseline on it so it would shine. I was riding the Indian motorcycle down a snow-covered road. Ugly. Woo! But, uh. My wife fell in love with me before she ever met me, honest to God. She used to see me in town and, and go home and cry to her mother about me. This is the honest to God truth. We've been married uh, this year will be 54 years. She is absolutely awesome. And I'm telling you the absolute truth. She's the best Christian I've ever met. I'm serious as I can be. I've been with her all over the world. I've been with her with royalty and with street uh, addicts, and she's absolutely the same. It, a person's status does not make her one bit of difference at all. She, and she, she has this, I don't know, under, I don't, I'm, she can walk up to somebody and she'll say, Oh, we saw you April 7, 1973, and your daughter, Diane, was going to the hospital. I'm, th- I'm thinking, have I ever seen these people before? And she knows all about their family history. It's amazing, you know ah, but she's a stickler for absolute facts, you know. That, listen, she is something else. But uh, uh, I used to get by with a lot till the grandkids showed her how to do that uh, live streaming and stuff, and so now they, she'll, she'll get on. But she said, you don't have to tell those silly stories, you know. <laughs> About me and my brother sitting in the backyard shooting cigarettes out of one another's mouth with a twenty two rifle. <laughs> yeah. My mother would come to the door, swing the door open and scream, Hey! You boys quit wasting them shells. They cost money. <laughs> That's how I was raised. I was raised, uh, uh, well, I told my mother once, I said, I don't think you, took, you watched over me very well. Listen, I was around her. Good, Lord. My brother was a year older than me, and man, Lord, we had a... He could whip me anytime he wanted to with his fists, but I shot him, hit him in the head with a hammer, and knifed him, so uh, he was afraid of me. Uh, I stuck a hammer in my brother's head. Now, there's not very many preachers come and tell you that, but we, we was building a porch for my mama. Supposed to be building the porch for my mom, and I, I don't know. Uh, I might have lipped off at him or something. I, I, I pushed the wrong button, and he wheeled me around. He was left handed, so he wheeled me around, fixing and whacked me one with the left. And I go, Good God, I got a hammer. Wham! So I hit him in the head with a hammer, and it stuck the hammer in his head. Look out now. There's the, the hammer head sticking in his head, and the handle sticking out like that. He fell in the floor, and he's bluer than the carpet, and uh, he's laying there. My mother opened the door and screamed, you killed him. I said, shut up. I know that. But uh, it didn't kill him. The doctor even used the word. You ready? The doctor said, it's a miracle. Said, you hit him the only place you could have hit him and not kill him. Said, if you'd have hit him here, it would have killed him. If you hit him here, it would have killed him. I hit him in the sinus. And that's where the hole is. There's a hole there in your head. And so that's where the hammerhead went. Go figure. God was even helping us in a hammer fight. <laughs> Isn't that awful? Yeah, anyway, when he, uh, he always had a little hacking scar where the hammerhead went in. But oh, he grew up rough. I really did. My dad died in a mental institution uh, before I was born. It was crazy. He slept around with strange women and called a venereal disease. It traveled up his spine got into his brain, he died a lunatic in an insane asylum. 37 years old. Over uh, uh, six foot, six inches tall, handsome fellow. But did you know, his sin almost cost me my life. Here's how that happened. This is 1943, my mother's big and pregnant with me, my dad's dying in a mental institution, and the doctors consult with my mother and say, the baby inside your belly will be afflicted with the same disease killing his father. So my mother is desperate now. She's already got my sister, two years old, two years older than myself, and my brother, a year older than me. And he was born crippled, crumbling of the hip bones. And then here I am in her belly going to languish away like my father. So my mother is desperate. Here's what she does. She takes a coat hanger, turns it into a hook, opens her womb, inserts a coat hanger into her body, and tries to extract my life out of her body. So help me God. So help me God. The first time I had an experience with Jesus was right then. He came and put his hand like that and kept my mother from extracting my life out of her body. I told Carol and my wife about it before my mother ever told me. And my wife said, Bobby, nobody can know what happened to him when he was a fetus. I said, me and John the Baptist do. Remember him? That's when the Holy Ghost where Mommy's telling me, it's actually Jeremiah 1, 4. Before I formed in the belly, I knew you. Before you came out of mommy's tummy, I ordained you, sanctified you, and set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. But anyway, I uh, grew up rough. And But uh, listen, we, uh, you know, my mother didn't have any money at all. This is 1943. Dad's dead. Mama's got three little kids. She never remarried. And she made our clothes out of feed sack. Isn't that something? Farmers back then would get their uh, feed in a sacks that had prints and stuff on them, and they would give them to my mother. She'd wash them and cut them up and make her clothes. Didn't have shoes; it's just poor as you could be. But listen, uh, it doesn't matter how you start; it's how you finish. You understand that? And God's really, really good. He really, really is. I can look back and see, and uh, we didn't know anything about him. My mother used to make our clothes, and we'd get out on Highway 31. Here's my mother, Little Widow. Here's my sister, Kay Francis. Here's my crippled brother, Glenn. And then here's me and my mother's out there on the side of the road thumbing a ride to church. Isn't that amazing? Some people won't get in a a Ferrari and drive to church. And she'd get out on the highway and thumb a ride to church trying to bring us up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Anyway, God's a good, good God. Uh, Isn't he good? And he's good to you. And I love when the pastor was praying a moment ago about thankful that we're living in a free country. Yeah. Yes. I really, Listen, it's amazing. I've been in places that can march in and shoot you for what we're doing right here. Right. Yeah. They can put you in prison for the rest of your life for doing just exactly what we're doing here. I mean, uh, in, in the last several months I've been there. I'm telling you, we have a great freedom. To worship God. Aren't you glad? Yes. We need to take advantage of it. So we got some stuff to talk about. I'm afraid you'll visit the book table out there. There's a we've got, several of the books. We write books all the time. It's the wildest thing. Guess what the Lord told me the other day? This is profound. <laughs> yeah. The, of course, anything the Lord tells you is profound. Here's what he said to me. Bobby, do you know what a printed word is? I said, apparently not. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Do you know what a printed word is? I said, apparently not. Here's what he told me. He said, a printed word is a thought you can see. Wow. Now, that's profound. When you, put your, when you write a book, you're putting thoughts down people can see. Aren't you glad God gave us thoughts you can see? This book tells us of God's thoughts towards us. Psalms 139, verse 16, 17 says his thoughts toward us are weighty and precious. Wow. So it's pretty amazing. Here's what we've got to understand tonight. The simplest, the simplest thing about God is so profound we can't understand it naturally. I don't care how brilliant you are. You can't comprehend the slightest and simplest thing about God. You have to discern that by the Spirit. You understand that? I don't care how smart you are. You can't get it with your human intellect. There's a guy in the, uh, in the Bible named Nick, Nicodemus. John chapter three says he was a ruler of the Jews. What the heck does that mean? The same came to Jesus by a, a ruler of the Jews. What does it mean? It means oh, he kept 480 <coughs> Levitical laws a day, and he could quote the first five books of the Bible. That dude was wow, wasn't he? I'm telling you, that's amazing. Kept 480 Levitical laws, a ruler of the Jews. That's what that means. And uh, isn't that something? So he came to Jesus by night and he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher from God. Nobody can pull this off unless God's with you. And what does Jesus say to him? Now, do you already see something strange here? There's Nicodemus Singular speaking in the plural. We know, but God will never let you hide in a crowd. God said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, What? You mean I must enter a second time into mommy's tummy and be born again? And he said, Marvel not that I say unto you. And marvel not means quit attempting to use human intellectuality to figure out the spiritual principles. Right. See, a lot of people are going to go to hell because they think they've got to figure out salvation. Nowhere in the Bible does it say figure it out. Right here it says quit trying to and just experience it. And I promise you, it is simple. Here's what the Bible said. Verse in the Old Testament said, the way of salvation is so simple that a wayfaring fool need not ear therein. That's King James. So I said, God, give me that in Texican. He said, you tell the people if they got enough sense to get back to the house, they got enough sense to get saved. That's what that verse means. The plan of salvation is so simple that a wayfaring fool need not ear therein. And you need to quit trying to figure it out in the head and experience it in the heart. Open your heart to Christ. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised you from the dead, you'll get saved. Amen. He won't turn you away. He'll come into your heart and save you. Write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you'll become a whole new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become bright and brand new. Aren't you thankful? Yes. Aren't you glad you don't get saved? Well, I'm back to the old life. <laughs> No, you, you don't get saved and go back to the old way of living. Remember, blind Bartimaeus. I love that dude, blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus sat by the highway side begging. I don't like that part about him. And he said he heard that it was Jesus coming by, as blind as he could be. And he hears a mob coming, and he hears that it's Jesus, and he starts crying out, "Jesus, Jesus!" And guess what? The disciples of Jesus Christ said to blind Bart. Shut up! This is not for you! That's what they said. But it says Bart picked up the volume and began to scream more. Jesus! And it says Jesus stopped and stood still and turned to those cold, callous disciples and said, Go tell him to come. And it says, They go over there to him. Now, listen. Do you see how dense you and I can be? We get so self centered when we get close to Jesus, we forget about those he came to die for. Come on. Yes. Come on. Go get him. So they go over there, and there's a little part, and they go, Come on, man, get up. He's calling for you. And it says, He cast away his blind man's garment. That was his identity to hand out and social uh, help. So he casts it away, and he comes to Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God. He comes, blind bart. And he's standing in front of Jesus, the Son of God, and lo and behold, Jesus says, "What is it you want?" Had Jesus lost the word of knowledge? I mean, here's this guy, mucus running down his eyes. Jesus, and Jesus says, "What is it you want?" Wow. See, we have not because we ask not. You've got to ask Jesus into your heart. You got to in. You got to invite him in and I love what blind Bart said he didn't say well if you heal me I may trust you he said Lord wow see he had already committed himself Lord that I might receive my sight and Jesus said go thy way thy faith has made thee whole and it says immediately his eyes were opened and he followed Jesus in the way we're telling you, you don't go back to the old lifestyle Aren't you glad he didn't get his cane in his cup and go, uh-huh. No, you get saved to live saved. You don't get saved to go out and smoke, dope, sleep around. You get saved to be different. If you don't, if you're not different, you didn't get saved. I've been preaching a long time, 49 years. I've studied the Bible quite thoroughly. And I found out there's only one way for sure you can know you're born again. You may say, well, I know I'm born again. Look at the gifts I've got. You don't have the kind Judas had. He's in hell. Judas had all the gifts flowing and functioning. And Jesus called him a devil. Wow. Wow. So that ain't evidence that you're saved. You say, well, here it is. As far as I can decipher, the only true acid test that you're genuinely Born again is this. You can't get by with habitually sinning. If you can sin and God doesn't correct you, you're illegitimate and have no birth papers. If you be without chastisement or correction, you're illegitimate, the book of Hebrews says. Wow. If you think you can get by continually with sin and God doesn't change you and punish you and correct you, something's wrong. Every son he receives, he chastens Correction and discipline is the only true way you know you're genuinely born again. You don't hear that preach much, do you? Well, I'm saved. I'm free now. You know what one preacher told me? He said, I've got full of the Holy Spirit. Now it's okay. I can take a drink. I mean, you don't get saved to get loose. The Holy Spirit doesn't set you free to live ungodly. Holy Spirit saves, the, saves you to live a sanctified life. You say, wow, you think it's wrong to drink? Mm, yeah. I do. I think it's wrong to drink. I know it's wrong to get drunk. The drunkard has his part in the lake that burns with fire. Now, I've drank more. To, I could drown everybody in this room. I used to make it, sell it. I'm telling you now, this is all true. There is nothing good about alcohol. It says, woe unto the neighbor that puts strong drink. Woe to the person that puts strong drink to his neighbor's lips. You'll never become an alcoholic if you don't take the first drink. You say, well, uh, listen, I, 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 uh, nope, I'd leave it alone if I was you. The Bible said abstain from all appearances of evil. See, some people think, well, I get free enough, you know. And I talk like this, you know what, I get, I get backlash. I go, oh, that's that legalism. No, I think loyalty is a lot better than legalism. I don't want somebody to stumble over my life into hell. See, you might can have a glass of wine. But the person at work that sees you have a glass of wine, he might, the first drink, he might be bound. And they thought, well, it was okay for him or her. No, a stain from all appearances of evil. Wow. It, it's, it's different than we think, isn't it? Don't get free enough to live loose. And I want you to understand that now. Okay. I talk like, I'm 70, 75 years old. I get to speak in the largest youth conferences in the world. And I tell it as straight as I can to them. They are sick and tired of sugar-coated mess. They want it as raw and real as you can give it to them. They're going to be willing to die for what they believe. You can't get their parents to live for what they say they believe. There's a coming generation of dread champions that will give their life for what they believe. They'll lay it down, literally lay down their life. Wow, isn't that cool? It's worth it though, isn't it? It's worth it. I've been on some things. Uh, listen, God will, I don't know where people think that Christianity is boring. I'll tell you what's boring, church. <laughs> Good, serving God is not boring. I, I could tell you stories, make your hair crawl around on your back. Just serving God. Wow stories, man. Once the Lord said, I want you to go to the Philippines. I just came out of the Philippines. They feel some uh, gigantic arenas with thousands of people down there. Wow. Just a few weeks ago, we was off in Manila. But anyway, years ago, I go to Manila, had a great service in big old arenas. And then the Lord said, I want you to go over there to an island and have a crusade. I thought it was crusade like soccer stadium. It was crusade like Indiana Jones. They flew me over there in a helicopter, landed helicopter on a pad no bigger than this place up here. Helicopter leaves. I'm going to be there 14 days and 14 nights. Helicopter's gone. I looked over there, and I saw something in the weeds, and I walk over there to see what it is. Oh, it's three missionaries hacked up and dismembered. I look over here. There's something in the bar ditch. Oh, it's a man with his throat slit, and he's blowed up like a dead cow. Helicopter's gone. I'm going to be there 14 days and 14 nights. Yeah. I said to God, you tricked me. He said to me, you wouldn't have come any other way. He was right about that. All of this is truth. See, I'm talking about adventure. I'm telling you follow God, there's adventure. There's drama following God. It was a wild, wild time. Good Lord. I, I ended up in an island. They were having a full blown revolution. It was the wildest thing you've ever seen. It, I could tell you stories for weeks about it. <laughs> Goodness, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> First night, the the, the the crusade was. They had a little bitty light, and you put a car battery there and hooked the wires up. That was the light, to light up the, and the, out in the middle of a jungle. So the first night, the Lord said, "Just preach the simple gospel." So I preached the simple gospel. Had my eyes closed, and I hear all kind of um, sounds of metal. And these a people, a bunch of rebels, came out of the jungle and threw their guns down. It's crazy. They put me on a. a they got me a little motorcycle because we we're going from one village to the next preaching. I'm on a little bitty motorcycle, like a bear on a bucket. And it's blowing smoke. And we'd get to hill, I'd have to get off and have it push. So here we go. And a bamboo thing falls across a little trail we're riding in, and a guy jumps out of the bushes with an AR 15. I might have mispronounced it last thing. He's got an automatic gun pointing at us, talking in Filipino. I said to the interpreter, the interpreter's about the size of my thumb little old weasel looking of a guy couldn't have whipped a flea that's the guy that's going to take care of me in the middle of a yeah so I said to him what does he want he says he wants us to follow him I said we follow him can't you see me here's the guy behind me with an AR 15 I'm going to I'm going this is all true. Don't lie in church. Ask Ananias and Sapphira. These people that go, oh, God, so easy to get along with. No, apparently lying to God can get you killed. Mm-hmm. That's New Testament Christianity. Don't think about Deuteronomy and all them other Leviticus. That's New Testament Christianity. In the church. Um, husband and wife drop dead about lying about their devotion to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That hyper grace message don't fit very well there, does it? I read the Bible, did you? It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. I'm more afraid of God than I am the devil. Now, I know he's given us the spirit of adoption. We can cry, da-da. But we better walk clean. Yeah. Oh, listen, guys, you better watch out now. This thing about, well, you know, it's all covered. No. If we continue to sin after we receive the knowledge of that sin, there remaineth no more pardon for that sin but a fearful looking for fiery indignation. If we just say, well, I know God's going to forgive me. I'll do it anyway. Mm-mm. Have you ever read the Bible that talks about a sin unto death? Apparently, Ananias and them committed it. They lied about their devotion, fell dead in church. Wow. Well, anyway, I don't know how I got off on that. I was in the middle of the jungle with a gun in my back. But anyway, good Lord. We get there to a cave, and we go inside a cave, and it's a room about as big as this thing up here. And there is, I was stunned. There was ground air missiles uh, up against the wall, these kind you can shoot down planes and all kind of weapons. And there was a whole ton of men sitting in there cross-legged like this and this interpreter is the guy's talking to him i said what is it he wants he said he wants you to give the message inside here that you've been giving out there that causes people's face to shine i go i can do that so but we survived that thing okay that was something but for these people that think christianity is boring I've got tales you can't imagine, but they're real tales. Serving Jesus is stimulating, it's exciting, but dead church, I don't want to be a part of a dead church, do you? How do you keep from being a part of a dead church? You stay full of the Holy Spirit. You stay focused on the Holy Spirit, loving Him, living for Him, allowing Him to live through you. It'll be exhilarating. He's got big, big plans for you. It is wild. I, I can tell you, I'm stunned, continually stunned on how God will open doors if you'll just step in. Let me tell you, you own a story? Yes! yes! I was down there in L.A. preaching. And they put me in the hotel where they put, they're having extreme Olympics. That's them guys and gals that can jump. They get on their motorcycles, jump up, spin around, and wait, jump off the motorcycle, wave on them, and get back. The Extreme Olympics, that's where their hotel, they was put all of them in there. And they. I'm in there doing a crusade uh, down there in, in L.A. So here I am with my little briefcase. But let, I'll interact it with you. Here I am. I'm in the elevator with my little briefcase. <laughs> elevator door is just about to close, and I'm thinking... Oh, I'll get up there and I'll get some rest. Just before the door closed, it opened up and the monster girls jumped in. You've seen the monster girls? Oh, Lord. It's about 15 to 18 naked girls. They wear nearly nothing. They advertise this monster drink. So they jump in the elevator. Come on! I'm the only guy in there that's got some st- They didn't have enough clothes on to wad a shotgun. You know what I mean? So here I am. I'm, I'm up against the wall like this with my briefcase. And they're jiggling, and giggling. And so here's what one of them said. One of them said to me, now, I don't know where she'd get an idea like this, but here's what she said. Hey, babe, you here to party? I go, no, nope, I'm here to tell people about Jesus. When I said I'm here to tell people about Jesus, one of the monster girls about second row in, she has a meltdown. Ah, ah! Ah! This is not who I am. I'm not supposed to be living like this. I'm a Christian. Had herself a meltdown right in the elevator. Just over my declaration that I'm here to tell people about Jesus. That you couldn't have pulled out a rattlesnake and scared them other girls worse. They're ash white. Here's what I said to the girl. Hey! She said, I think there's a whole bunch more like me. I said, go get them and bring them down to the fountain, and I'll come preach to them. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. You think church is boring, you ought to have been in that one. I get down there. This is the extreme Olympics. This is the wildest bunch of the wild. This is the superstars of the wild. I get down there to the fountain in the lobby of that hotel, and I bring my little Bible, and I opened the Bible and began to preach to them. Oh, man. I got hallelujahs and F-bombs at the same message. It was, it, you talk about something. It was, it was wild. We had a time. But see, that's the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to just keep Christ shackled in a church. We got to get out where they're at. We had a great, great time. I'm, I'm just telling you. A bunch of them kids got saved. But see, it wouldn't have happened if we hadn't had this encounter. But we got to quit trying to be a secret disciple. God has nothing to do with secret disciples. You understand that? We're supposed to be a city set on a hill. I'm screaming. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are to be salt and light. Here's a verse I it. It says we're supposed to be salt and light. But if the salt has lost its ability to function, it is good for nothing. I'll never be a good for nothing Christian. It is good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden on the feet of men. That's what Jesus said. If you're not functioning under your calling and your equipping, you're good for nothing. Wow. Mm-hmm. See, now it's so sad. A lot of people, did I ask you your name? Yeah. I know you no, I just asked you your age. What's your name? Noah? Wow. <laughs> How was that boat, boy? <laughs> it's smelly, I can imagine that. Well, here's the sad part about it, Noah. A lot of people have fallen into this um, mindset that the ultimate goal of God is just to get saved and live a few years and go on to glory. Wait a minute. There's nothing wrong with going on to glory, but God has much more to you, for you to do than just live a good life for a few years. If the ultimate goal of God was just to get us from earth to heaven, we wouldn't need a functioning fivefold. We just need two ministries, evangelist and assassin. Get you saved and pow, you're there. But he leaves us here to function as a five-fold family, doesn't he? Say yes. All right. None of this is a message. I pray you'll visit the book table. There's books out there. One's about breaking off family curses. It's a legacy and lineage line. Legacy is uh, what you leave behind. Lineage line is who you leave behind, and they're inseparable. The first one I wrote, the first legacy and lineage line book, it sold out just like that. And the Lord said, I want you to rewrite it but add more to it. And so in this one, the new one that's out there, we added verses and scriptures and uh, patterns and processes for you to begin to speak perennial blessings over your family. How do you break off the curses but add the blessings of God? And it's never too late to do that. They can be married and out of the house, but you still have a leadership over their life. You really do, and so it's very, very important, and I hope you'll get the Legacy Lineage Line book. There's one called Empowered. I wrote it out of Psalms 90, verse 16 and verse 17, which says, "O Lord, let the signs of your power be revealed, and establish thou the works of our hands. Yes, God, the works of our hands, establish thou it, and let your glorious majesty be seen by our children. Psalms 90, verse 16 and 17, and it's in a book called Empowered. And then there's one out there called called, uh, uh, Master's Plan, Divine Design. Wow. And it shows you how to find the destiny God has for you and start doing what he's called you to do. What he's called you to do, you'll find joy in it. You'll, it won't be drudgerous. The Bible said that his yoke is easy and his burden's light. When you find out what God has called you to do and you quit trying to do what others are doing and do what God called you to do, it'll be easy. It'll be cheerful and good and you'll be contented in it. Life is too short not to find that. So you need to get Master's Plan Divine Design, and then there's the there's the Shepherd's Rod book where we on the Day of Atonement we have this encounter with Jesus, and it's called about sonship this time. I am telling you, I'm one thousand percent sure one of the most needed messages we have is sonship. We've got to shift from just being a servant to a son, and then we, he'll tell us all about becoming an heir of the Kingdom of God, and we are joint heirs with Jesus. That means we're co-owner of the universe. That's what it says in the Bible. Yeah, that's pretty good. Well, I don't, you know, I don't. No, you're co-owner of the universe. You're a joint heir with Jesus. If there are any lawyers, ask a lawyer what it means to be a part of a joint heir. It means that one can't have more than the other. So whatever Christ has, you have equal share. Wow. Heir. We're going to learn more about being a son, sonship, and being an heir in the kingdom than we've known our whole life. I hope you'll get the book on Sonship. and so anyway, I'm not talking. If you can sack them up and bring them to Cincinnati, that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to Cincinnati. George Ann's wild, but he can play that. He's been he'd come to Bullard. Oh, that's wild! One time I had George Ann there, and I don't speak. I just I speak Texican, and so I told George Ann, I said, I want you to get up and speak to me in some Bulgarian. And he gets up and he starts speaking in Bulgarian. And I I hear these words. And so I just start saying what he said. He said, I didn't know you spoke Bulgarian. I said, I don't. But I was speaking what, you know, just that's under interpretation of tongues, honestly. Isn't that wild? Oh, Georgian. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I hope that's not too far from here. Less than 200 miles in Cincinnati. So y'all could come. Well, it's sold out. I I don't know. Come on anyway. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, a lot of stuff to talk about, but here's what I want to talk to you about tonight. You ready? we got, I don't know what time it is. My plane leaves tomorrow at 3, so uh, we got plenty of time. Don't, Don't you think? Yeah, plenty of time. You know, timing is everything, being in the right place for the right reason. If you follow God, you'll follow the favor of God, and he'll put you in the right place at the right time to meet the right people. Nothing in the world can compare to favor. It's it, one of the most sought out, sought out, one of the most repetitive st- statements in the Old Testament is, If I have found favor in thy sight. So it seems like favor would be something we seek to choose for and search for. If I found favor. So, favor, if you're looking for something, you, you need to be looking for favor, the favor of the Lord. Say favor. Oh, man, there is a lot of verses in the Bible about favor. I like, I like Psalms 84, 11. It says, He'll give us present-day favor, future glory, honor, splendor, and heavenly bliss. Have you ever noticed, if you follow God, every step gets bigger and better for you? That sec, in the New Testament, that'd be 2 Corinthians three eighteen. As we behold Him with an unveiled face, we're changed from one dimension of glory to the next. 2 Corinthians three eighteen. As we behold Him with an unveiled face. Now, see, I can see you, but I can't see you distinctly. There's a veil in the way. As we behold him with an unveiled face, I'll shock you with this statement. The veil over the body of Christ, keeping us from seeing the ruling reigning redeemer in the majesty he needs to be seen, is one thing. Guess what it is? Tradition. It's the only thing i found in the Bible more powerful than the Bible. Teaching for commandments the traditions of men and making the word of God of none effect. Traditions can keep us. From seeing the Lord like he really is. I've had people say, well, our church doesn't believe it that way. Hey, if this is the way, if they're not following what the Bible said, they're going in error. See, this is not a Baptist Bible, charismatic Bible. It's the only manual we really have. So don't get in and say, well, our church doesn't believe that. Believe what this book teaches. Yeah. Well, I don't believe in speaking in tongues. Well. I don't believe what some people say about speaking in tongues. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Did you hear the crack? I I think it's an error to say you have to speak in tongues as evidence of being full of the Holy Spirit. You can't prove that in the Bible. Not one single time does it say Jesus spoke in tongues and he was absolutely full of the Holy Spirit. Not one single time does it say John the Baptist spoke in tongues and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I am for speaking in tongues. You'll you'll be uh, invalid spiritually if you don't really learn how to pray in tongues. You pray in tongues not for your neighbor to hear you, but to build yourself up in the Holy Ghost. Yeah. The biggest enemy you have to pray in tongues is your own head. It's because you want to know what's going on. You need to say, shh, this ain't about you. <laughs> you're not praying to understand. You're praying in the Spirit to build up yourself the most holy faith. Anyway. Okay, so here's what I want to talk to you about. Y'all ready? All right. Now, here. Here's what happened to me the other day, just the other day. I've been preaching 49 years, and I was having this moment with the Lord. I was thanking God and praising God and giving Him reverence for all that He's allowed us to see. Oh, my goodness. 49 years of incredible things. Almost unbelievable things in this journey of 49 years. So I was thanking God for all of that and the privilege of being involved in it. And he stunned me. He said to me, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then he showed me a verse in the Bible that teaches. Watch this. He showed me a verse in the Bible. I'll show it to you in just a moment. It teaches all that we know about God from history past to this very moment. All we know about God from history past to this very moment is but the mere fringes of his force. All that we've heard about God from history past to this moment is but the faintest whisper of his voice. Wow, I don't know about you. Have you thought about the moves of God in the past? All that we've seen in history past, all that we've heard is but the faintest whisper and the mere outskirts of his doings. We ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to show you the verse. You want to see it? I bet you do. Yeah, I'll find it here and get it for us. It'll, it'll, it's kind of nice. It stunned me. Man alive. Listen to what it says. I'm reading now out of Job. And it's chapter 26 and verse 13. For by his breath the heavens are garnished. His hand pierced the swift fleeting serpent. Verse 14. Yet these are but a small part. Of his doings, the outskirts of his ways are the mere fringes of his force, the faintest whisper of his voice. Who dare contemplate or who can understand the thunder of his full and majestic power? He said, You better get ready for his full and majestic power. All we've heard him to now is the faintest whisper. All we've Seen up into now is but the mere fringes of His force and His power. Wow. Say expectation. Say it. Expectation. God is going to do some things that will cause our jaws to drop. And in Psalms 126... Psalms 126 verse 1, it says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, then were we like them that dreamed. Then was her mouth filled with laughter and her tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. It is something when God moves in the people in such a magnitude that even the heathen go, Good God, did you see that? It says the heathen will say, God has done great things. Wow. Okay. That's pretty neat. Now we're going to the message. You ready? Oh, man. Here's one. Remember I said I'm going to talk about recalibration? And I said today in the hotel, I said, God, I know that I'm supposed to talk about recalibration, but why is it so desperate? And he said, Proverbs 14, 14 is why it's so desperate. The backslider is filled with all of his own ways. Wow. See, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the ends of that way is death. Now, we need to recalibrate because we backslid. You, have you st- there's a list of scriptures this long in the Bible about backsliding. None of them good. Wow. What does backsliding mean? It means turning away from God, letting your passion get cooler and colder. Distance in yourself from the passion that once pulled your heart towards the Lord. And so what we need to do, we got to recalibrate. So uh, if uh, let's read that, Proverbs 14, 14. You ready? The backslider in heart, the backslider in heart from God has, uh, the backslider in heart from God And from fearing God shall be filled with the fruit of his own doings. And a good man shall be satisfied with the fruit of his ways. The backslider is filled with his own ways. Wow. That's why we need to recalibrate. What would be a cure for that if we're filled with our own ways? I believe Matthew 6.33 would be a good antidote. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all the other things will be added to you. We've got to get back to the art of seeking God. Jeremiah 30, what, uh, 29, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. 29, 12, and 13, we got to, this is a time to get a hold of God. Don't let anything get in your way of seeking the Lord. It's, early will I seek thee. Boy, I'll tell you, if you want get, to get convicted, study the prayer life of Jesus. said to get up away before daylight. said he would spend all night in prayer. He had no sins to confess, no missteps to atone for, and yet he felt this constant need to stay in communication. Wow, okay. So here, would you take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of Revelation we're going to talk about, recalibrate. We've got to get back to the original point of accuracy. I'm headed now to Revelation chapter 2. Revelations chapter two, and let's start if you will with verse one. This is to the where the Lord is writing to the seven churches, and this is the church of Ephesus, and uh, it looks like they're going to make a passing grade to start with. Listen, listen, uh, you can you can follow along. I'm reading out of Revelations chapter two, verse one. To the angel, the messenger, of the assembly, of the church in Ephesus, write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars, which are the messengers of the seven churches in his right hand. Who who Goes among the seven lampstands which are the seven churches. Verse 2. This is, this is what he's saying to him. I know your industrious and your activities and your labors and your toils and your troubles. And your patience and your endurance. And how you cannot tolerate wicked man. And have tested and critically approved those who, who call themselves apostles. As special messengers from Christ. And yet are not. And you have found them out to be imposters and liars. I know you are enduring patiently and are bearing up under my, for my name's sake and have not come under complete exhaustion you've not fainted you've not grown weary ah oh, boy i want to go yeah then we get to verse 4 <laughs> but this is jesus talking to the church but i have this one charge to make against you That you have left, abandoned the love that you had at first. You have deserted me, your first love. Remember then from whence the heights you have fallen. Repent. Change the inner man to meet God's will. And do the works you did previously when you first knew the Lord. Or else I will come and visit you and remove the lamp stand from its place. Unless you change your mind and repent. Wow. That is a strong, strong. Warning, it sounded like these guys were doing great. They had good doctrine, but they had left their passion. But I have this one thing against you. Look at it. It says, but I have this one charge to make against you. You have left, abandoned me, your first love. The church needs to recalibrate and get back to first love. That's what it means to be backslidden. That you've let something come between you and your passion for Christ. Wow. A lot of them say, well, you know, i got a new job and it takes a lot of time. Anything you're putting between you and your passion for God becomes an idol that you'll stumble over. It's true. But we've got to get back to first love. Do you remember how it was when he first got saved? You couldn't keep quiet about Jesus. I mean, you'd talk talk to a fence post if you could. I'm telling you guys, we need to keep that kind of favor. We're excited about being saved. Don't ever grow blasé about your walk with God. Nothing on earth is more important than your walk with God. The Bible says we're going to give an account of every deed we've done in the body, whether it's good or bad. Wow. I was giving an interview to a radio program once. Wow. And here's what uh, the, the lady was interviewing me, and it was one of those kind of little catchy things. And she said, tell me, why are you in this? What is your real goal? Why do you call all the people, and why do you go so many? What are you? What's, what's, what's the real deal? And I was going to give her one of these little tongue-in-cheek answers. The Lord said, nope. You tell her what you really want. I said, I'll tell you what I do all that I do and why I go like I go, why I do all the things that we're into. I want to be able to stand before him and have him say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Any other motivation is wrong. I do what I do. To hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That is a motivating force in my life. I don't want to live my life and then die and step off of the page and people not know what's, what Jesus is about. So that's my goal. To live in such a way it pleases him. I'm telling you, ask him what he thinks about you. Well, I know he loves me. Mm-hmm. Ask him. To judge your heart and see if there's anything in there. I prayed a prayer. I'd have never prayed it if I'd known where it was going. Uh, have you ever been where everything's just right? I was pastoring a church, and everything was just right. It was amazing. Had a big old mahogany desk and a leather chair. Stuffed back. Come with me to that office. There I am. They had polished the desk. It was, everything was just wonderful. So I didn't even bow my head. I just kind of crooked my neck a little bit like this. And out of my mouth came these words. It's a prayer to God. Oh, God, if, emphasis on if, if there's anything wrong in my life, show it to me. Oh, my Lord. It was like he reached down with his finger and pushed the rewind on the cassette that's when they had cassettes went all the way back like that to the first meeting I ever did the first meeting in Atlanta that I ever did here's what happened he stopped the video there and he showed me the night after the first meeting I'd ever done I did it on Friday this is Saturday morning headlines of the paper written this big come see this man He's like Billy Graham and Billy Sunday merged into one. And there was my picture. I read that that Saturday morning. Come see this man. He's like Billy Graham and Billy Sunday merged into one. I thought, I thought I blushed and said, oh, how ridiculous. But guess what the real Bobby Connor said? Well, it's about time they see something. God said to me, that's arrogance and pride and it's a stench in my nostrils. This is years in the past. So I said to myself in my leather chair at my mahogany desk, I better get out of this chair. I got out of this chair and I turned around and put my face in the chair to pray. That was just the beginning of atrocities. Things that meant nothing to me were still on the books with God. Attitudes and actions. So I dare you to say, oh God, I give you permission to search my heart. You might be so deceived in this room and say, Well, I'll tell you, brother, I don't need that. I've already searched my heart. We're incapable of doing that. Jeremiah 17.10 says, Our hearts are so deep and dark, we can't know them. But the Lord judges the heart. Isn't it Psalms what? Psalms says, Search me, O God, and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Psalms 139.23, Search me, O God try me, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in a way that's eternal and everlasting. Give Him permission to search your heart. If there's anything there, instead of sweeping gun under the rug, what are you going to do? 1 John nine, If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. We need to keep the slate clean. That's true. You say, well, I don't want no No, he already knows it. Just come clean with him. There's nothing like being able to look at yourself in the mirror and not be ashamed. I mean, listen, with an open face, just don't you want to walk upright? No good thing will the Lord withhold from he that walks upright. Wow. It's the wildest thing. If you walk upright, God will give you the desires of your heart. It's true. I could, I could stand here all night long and tell you things that I wanted, that I didn't even need, that I God gave them to me. Yeah. Years ago, I had a good car. But I wanted a pickup truck. Everybody in Texas needs a pickup truck. <laughs> so I wanted a pickup truck. And I, I could have bought a pickup truck. But I, I just didn't want to buy a pickup truck. I wanted one. But I didn't want to. Go in debt for a pickup truck. So, anyway, I read that verse. When a man's voice pleased the Lord, he'll give him, give him the desires of his heart. So, I said, I desire a pickup truck. (laughs) So, I just left it there. I don't know how many weeks after that. I get a call from two towns over from a Chevrolet dealer. And he said, well, your truck's ready. I said, "Sir, there must be some kind of mistake." I, I said, "I don't have a truck." He said, are "You the pastor of the church?" I said, "Yes, I am." He said, "There's no mistake. Your truck's down here." I drove down there. Somebody had paid one hundred percent for a brand new truck. I got in the truck and drove home. Got it up to one hundred and twenty miles an hour on the way home. Just, you know, they talk about breaking in. That's a wild truck. That, that's pretty wild. No fanfare, no no uh, didn't even know who to send the thank you letter to. So that was a truck. Now, listen, I know this sounds greedy, but I wanted a Ford Bronco. That the big Ford Bronco they had. So I already had some history with the Lord about the truck. So I started looking for Ford Broncos. I'd go down to the Ford place and I could have bought a Ford Bronco, but that wasn't the deal. I just couldn't justify buying one when I already had a car and a pickup, but I wanted a Ford Bronco. So, one day, I opened the paper, the Tyler paper, and a, 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 a ad stood out like this, and a man had a brand new Ford Bronco for sale. Yeah. And the Lord said, I'll give you that Bronco. I said, okay. So I drive. It was at uh, Lindale. So I, uh, that's a little town outside of Tyler. So I drive to Lindale, and I pull up there, and the old the old man comes out. i would never seen him before in my whole life. And so I said, uh, Uh, I'm really interested in this Bronco, and I I want to uh, get this Bronco. And I I, I said, now, I don't have the money to pay for it now, but I've got great credit at the bank. Uh, I can get any kind of loan we need, but here's what I want to give you for the Bronco. And it was way, way lower than the value of this Bronco. And what had happened? The old man uh, had bought it to have for a ranch out there, and uh, uh, he didn't like the way it was, or something. Anyway, anyway, while I'm negotiating over my Bronco, the Ford dealer drives up. The man that owned the Ford dealership in that town drove up to buy the Bronco, and he says to the man, "Well, if you want to sell it, here's what I'll give you for it." And it was really the market price, and I'd shot away under that. And the old man goes. Well, uh-huh. no, I want him to have it. I'm talking about me. I said, now you understand. I don't have the money. I'll have to go to the bank and get me a loan. He said, yep, I want you to have it. So the other guy, the other guy's little, t- he drives off gravel flying. So I get the keys to my Bronco. Hadn't paid for it. So I drive to the bank, Southside State Bank. And I go in. And guess what? I made me a loan for the Bronco. So I think it was like, I don't know, $350 a month for 37 years or something like that. It's (laughs) the craziest thing you've ever seen. I had it stretched out as far as you could do it, you know. And so I just, everything was fine. So I'm enjoying my Bronco. And the month went by that it's time for the first payment for my Bronco. I'm out in the front yard of the Parsonage. They lived in the Parsonage. And I was out out in the front yard of, of the Parsonage playing football with my son, Sean. And I thought, oh, God, this is the day I'm supposed to make the first payment. And I'm out here in the yard playing football with my son. So help me God, a car drives in the driveway, pull down there, mash the window a window comes down like this I walk over there and out of the window there was an envelope stuck so I took the envelope and I said what's this for the car backed out and pulled off and it says for your Bronco the day the first payment was due a check came in that paid the whole thing off (laughs) God said I told you I'd give you a Bronco and so he gave me a Bronco So I put headers on it, a lift kit. I put headers. That was my pastoral vehicle. I put a big lift kit on it, big mud tires, and headers out the side. See, they drive the pastoral car in front of the funeral. I I could bury them in any place, man. That that was was a bad truck, boy. Had a 451 Windsor in it and a big four-barrel this big around. Yeah see God you say well why don't that happen to me when a man's ways please the Lord he'll give him the desires of his heart find out if there's anything displeasing and get it rectified we got to get back to our first love one of the ways I get stuff is I stay childlike yeah the quickest way to offend God is getting to where you think you deserve something. We deserve hell. And we get all the blessings of God. we got to stay. You know, it's easy to become childish, but we need to become childlike. Don't you think? Except we become a little child, we can't say we're the kingdom. Eh, well, that's good. Everything okay? we got to get out here. Yeah, it's going to be late here in a minute. So, Noah, what you're going to do with your life? You know, we talked about that yesterday, didn't we? You got the Ephesians 5 verse, didn't you? Yeah, it, well, it's Ephesians 5. It says, Walk with goal, aim and true purpose. Don't meander around them, aimless. That, Ephesians 5, 14 through 18. Read it out of the classic amplified version. You can Google it on Gateway, and it'll pull it up free for you. I like this. How'd you do that? I wanna, can I pull on that? Sure. That's neat. Mine grows out, and I look like a wild walrus. It won't lay down. It just sticks out like this. Yeah. Stuff falls in it. I like the guy that had a guy playing that had a big old beard. Looked like a a chipmunk could have been under there. (laughs) People get beards, and they get slick like the back of a mink. Mine looks like it's bad. You put stuff on it, that's my problem. I need to. Yeah. Look out now. (laughs) I was off down in Miami preaching in a Cuban church. All of those guys had the most magnificent hair you could imagine. Down in Miami in a Cuban church, these guys had the wildest haircuts you could imagine. And most of them had buns, these men buns. And it hit me. I said, listen, I got a new idea for a hairstyle. Rotate the man bun to the front. Wouldn't that look cool? It had been like that Psalms 92.10. My horn is exalted like the horn of a unicorn. But that, that was fun. Did I tell you when I went to, I went to Vienna, Austria? Me and Rick Joyner a big old coliseum in Vienna, Austria. My time to preach. So I get up there to preach. And instead of preaching, I look out in the middle of the crowd to a woman. Never seen, never been there my whole life. And I said, hey, I want you to give me a haircut. And she says in perfect English, yes, I have my equipment with me. Rick Jorner said, you know that woman? I said, never seen her in my whole life. And so we went to the men's room in the Coliseum. And Rick had to hold the door open while this strange woman washed my hair and gave me a haircut. She was a hairdresser for the Philharmonic over there. I go back the next year, she cut my hair again. You know, somehow I just stumble into those things. Yeah. Rick said, what if she couldn't have cut hair? I said, it'd been okay in a couple of weeks. I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma preaching. And there's a little lady sitting out in the middle of the crowd. And I said, ma'am, would you stand up? And she stood up. And I said, I want you to bake me a pie. And she looked at me, the sweetest. She said, well, certainly. So the pastor sitting there said, you know who that is? I said, no, I don't know who that is. She's a famous pie baker. She's, her pictures in all of those magazines at home and garden, she baked me two of the prettiest pies you've ever seen. I took pictures of them before I destroyed them. Yeah. But she was a famous pie baker. See, all you got to do is just kind of be chilled out. Just kind of meander around and see what happens. Well, you know, I want Nah. I'll tell you the problem. I preach all over the world. I found pastors afraid of the Holy Ghost. So I got into a big study with God to find out why pastors would be afraid of Holy Ghost. I finally found out why. Here it is. They can't control him. That's why they're afraid of the Holy Ghost. You can't control him. You can quench him. You can grieve him. You can vex him. But you can't control him. It's like the wind. You don't know where it came from. You ain't sure where it went. We better be led by the Holy Spirit. Don't you enjoy being led by the Holy Spirit? Oh, it's wild. I'm in a fine eating joint. Occasionally, people invite me to these country clubs and places like, the. oh, and so I got one of those invitations. And it's gorgeous. They've got a, a, a wonderful meal there. And there's other people. Have you ever noticed in them fancy places they whisper? I say. But they're, anyway, Texas, you better make a sound with that fork. <laughs> you know. Most time the meat's so tough, you've got to put a little pressure. But anyway, I'm in this fancy restaurant with these people, and it's it's really they've done a lot of stuff to make it nice. And so the little lady that comes, so the Lord said, "I have a word for her." I said, "Oh God, okay." He said, "Now I want you to give it to her." I said, "I will, I will." So here we are. Everybody's whispering. We're over there on a table. And so here comes a little waitress like this with the stuff. And they hide it under a hubcap. Strangest thing. So she comes up. And so I thought, the Lord had told me what to tell her. And I thought, well, that couldn't cause much of a scene. You know what I mean? So uh, she's standing there. And I said, ma'am, the Lord has a word that I need to tell you. And here's the word he said to tell you, yes, you are a survivor. Now that doesn't sound, here's what she did. She goes, ah, and threw the tray straight up in the air and falls in the floor and starts screaming and crying like you couldn't imagine and jumped up and ran through the door. I mean, in a quiet, I mean, it was a meal in a floor show. Can you imagine that? It's, you can't imagine what it did in this woman's heart. That God told her she's a survivor. Wow. Wow. So uh, what we got to do is just say, say what he says. Can I tell you one more story about me and my uh, adventures in those places? I'm in a, a place and you have to call in to get reservations. And you have to wear a jacket. <laughs> Let me tell you a couple of things. You ain't going to... The food ain't going to be enough to fill up a gnat. (laughs) But anyway they got me in this fancy place the pastor dr so-and-so and his wife they're wonderful people they're pastoring a church and they're wonderful so they got us this reservation at this so let's go in here we come there's a little girl a little woman uh, back behind the counter and uh, the little table there and she's dressed really really nice starch white shirt and a black uh, apron looking thing so we come in and i'm following the pastor and his wife and we come in so she's there and he says uh Called gave her name she said yes you have reservations could you follow me and when I looked at her the Lord said uh, she doesn't know me as savior but I'm going to give you a prophetic word that she knows you could never know and it'll turn her heart to me and she'll get saved so I said boy that will be great so we go to our meal <laughs> and we sit down and they bring the food and it's wonderful food and I'm just kind of picking at it because God said I'm going to give you a word, and I'm picking at the food, thinking about the girl, and the, the pastor said, uh, Bobby, is there something wrong with the meal? I said, No, no, it's wonderful, it's wonderful, and he said, Well, uh, you're just picking at it. What is it? And I said, Well, it's that girl, that checked us in. She don't know Jesus. But God's gonna give me a secret of her heart that she'd know I could never know, and it's gonna lead her to Jesus. And he gets, Yes! That's what I've always wanted to see. Power evangelism. That's what he said. So I said, okay. So we go back up there to the booth, to the, and there's she's she's maybe a college age, I don't know, 20 something years old, maybe older than that. So I'm here and I'm looking at her, and I said, Ma'am, I am so sorry, but the Lord has spoken to me and told me that you don't know him as Savior, but he's going to show me a secret about you that you would know I would never know, and it'll so capture your heart, and you'll give your heart to Jesus. She said, well, I don't know him. So, now, we're in one of the fancy places. Everybody's got a suit and stuff, and they're... (laughs) So... I'm waiting for God to give me the word about this girl. Now it's gonna scare you, but hang with me. I'm waiting, I'm waiting on the word, and while I'm waiting on the word, I go into a trance. Here's what I see. Now listen to me, real careful, right here on the girl. I see a black with a spider, a tattoo. I see it go all the way up her thigh, across her, and get right here to her belly button and made a nest. First I thought it was a demon. I shall. Lord said, nope, it's me. So I said with a lump in my throat, well. That's what I said. Well, I, I I I don't want you to take this wrong, but uh the Lord has shown me you have a tattoo of a blackwood spider here on the inside of your thigh, and it runs up and gets in your belly button. She screams, Yes, and ripped her blouse up like this. Yes. I said, honey, put that shirt down, girl. And we led her to Jesus Christ. See Yeah. Scared me worse than it did her, you know. Yeah, that was in a fancy eating joint. In one of them little coves and well, you say, well, one thing we're not going to do is invite Bobby out for dinner. You know? <laughs> oh, man. Let me tell you one other dinner story, okay? You'll like this one. We'd been down at Shreveport, Louisiana doing a meeting, a demonstration of God's power meeting, and the Holy Ghost showed up. People were drunk. They'd fall out of their chairs. They'd roll in the floor. It was a wild, wild service. And it had lasted till 2 a.m. in the morning. So here we are with... Uh, Several of her team and my wife and were in an all-night eating joint in Shreveport, Louisiana. And I, th- they had that uh, breakfast. Uh, you know, anyway, so I'd ordered uh, two eggs and some toast. And here's the team around me and 2 a.m. in a restaurant in Shreveport, Louisiana. And anyway, I'm fixing to eat the toast. And the Lord said to me, Bobby, that was a great service tonight, wasn't it? I said, oh, yes, Lord. It was marvelous. He said, You believe what happened there was me, don't you? I said, Yes, Lord, I know it was. All the people falling out drunk in the Holy Ghost. I said, Yes, I'm, I, I know it was you. And then he said, You know, if I did it there, I can do it here. <laughs> 2 a.m. in the morning. <clears throat> so, uh, got a, I was tired of eating. <laughs> I said, Lord, I don't know what you mean. He said, if I did it there, I can do it here. And across the back from here here where this group's sitting over there was some other people in a booth. He said, I want you to get up from here, and I want you to release it on them. I said, I don't believe they were in the meeting. He said, that wasn't what I told you. (laughs) So I stand up 2 a.m. in Shreveport in this all-night eating joint, and there's people in a booth over there. And I said, hey, stand up. They stood up, and I said, here, take this. And the Holy Ghost goes over there and knocks them all down. Six or seven people on the floor just out. I thought, oh, Lord. So I walk over there. They're drunk. They're laughing. They're just. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at them. And the little waitress comes running up. And she goes, what happened? I said, I prayed for them. She said, oh, I wish you'd have told me. I've already called the police. This is true. In comes the Police. I'm the only guy standing. All the rest of them are down there. And they go, what happened here? And I said, well, I prayed for them. I might as well have been talking Martian. They said, you did what? I said, I prayed for them. And they still couldn't understand it. I said, you want me to do it to you? And they go, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, but anyway. See, Christianity is exciting. You just go around. And I can't even start with my deals on airplanes. Yeah. We've seen dead people raised on the airplane. Oh my God. Died there. And, listen, crazy. But see, you've got to be loaded wherever you're at. That's right. Come on. You can't just get in and turn it on on Sunday daddy. If you can turn it off when you walk out there, I don't think it's God. On, I like when you walk by people and they fall out. wop. You know? Again, <laughs> Hard to explain, but Anyway. Well, good. What's your name? Tony, Tony. God bless you. What do you do? Hey, look out now. <laughs> one of you guys hit me in the head with something one time. It split my head. You can stick your finger in there. I got a hold in my head. He said, get in the car. I said, I ain't getting in the car. He hit me in the head with something. I'd have driven for him after that. But yeah, I broke in the jail. That's the truth. I, you've never had a preacher that broke in the jail. I have. I broke in the jail. You might ask, I don't want to talk about that, but listen. <laughs> what kind of policeman are you? I'm a oh, man. Listen. I'd break in the hospitals, get their drugs, throw them in sacks, the sack, shake them up, and take a handful and see what happened. Yeah. It was the devil trying to erase my mind, but he missed. <laughs> Isn't that something? That's honest to God truth. Break in the hospitals, throw the drugs in the sack, shake them up, and take a handful of them. Whew. Well, anyway. As far, you, to have, you, to get, you can order from our office a story, uh, a tape of my whole life. It says, call from birth. I tell you about the abortion attempt. I tell you about when I ran drugs from Texas. Uh, it's crazy, crazy. But I tell the whole story, and I tell about getting born again. The judge that used to lock me up bought me my first preaching suit. Yeah, Judge Winston Reagan. He came to me later, and he said, you know why I did that? And I said, no, sir. He said, I'm a Methodist, and Methodists don't talk like this. He said, a voice came and told me. Wow. Bought me my first preaching suit, Winston Reagan. I used to preach, and the first few rows would be full of policemen to see if it was me. This is the honest God truth. We had a gang called the Red Rats. We'd set signs out in the Athens, Texas, and stop traffic and make them pay a toll to come through. Yeah. That's right. Okay. <laughs> but the way of the transgressor is hard and uh, you know hit me up on him but one thing about it thank god i got saved before the taser they lit me up like a christmas tree, man Now, i don't blame i don't blame the cops i was I, it was just crazy you know but mm. I had the fastest car around. Uh, at that time, I had a 57 Chevrolet with headers coming out. I could break the car window, uh, the glass windows in the store just by the vibration of the car. Whew. Yeah. When I got saved, I had the... F- well, anyway. I, I got, I'm ready to get out of here. I'm just rattling on. But, hey, here's the deal. If God will use me, you got a shot. You know what I mean? God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. We don't deserve one single thing. But... I'm telling you, the Lord has been so generous, and he is merciful isn't me. I want you to know, the night I got saved, I'd run a double-barrel shotgun up the roof of my mouth, flick the tr- safety off, and I'm one flick of my thumb away from hell. The whole car filled with demons, and they were screaming, Do it! Do it! Do it now! Wow. I started shaking like a leaf. I wasn't afraid of anybody then. I started shaking like a leaf. I'm down in the woods in a car, And the car got colder than ice. I pushed the safety back on through the gun in the back seat of the car. Drove back to the church. I let my wife and my little son out. I was going to kill myself. Never see them again. But I'll tell you what they were doing. They were praying that God would save me. When I pulled the door of the church open that night, it's late at night on Wednesday night then. It's probably, I don't know, 15 till 11, 15 after 11, something like that. And I pulled the door open and there was Paul Paul Naus, the pastor. I had hated him. I'd catch him in the store, and I'd shove him. I'd curse him. I'd have beat him to death if he'd have said anything. I'd have beat him, and he'd look at me with big old blue eyes, and he'd say, Bobby, I love you. Paul nows he's in heaven while I'm talking. But here's what I saw when I pulled the door open that night. I saw Paul Nows praying. I saw my wife, my little boy, praying. I saw Ronnie and Sharon Coston praying, some young Christian couples praying at an old-fashioned mourners' bench. And Here's what I heard him crying out. Oh, God, whatever it takes, save Bobby. See, if they hadn't been interceding for me, I'd have blown my brains out. I'd be in hell instead of Ohio. Isn't that something? Yes. See, there's some people you can't talk to about God. My wife tried to talk to me about God. I'd kick her over. I'd beat her up, tear her clothes off of her. Wouldn't give her the keys to the car. I've seen her make her face back up, start walking eight miles to church. Wow. But isn't that amazing? Yes. That was the fall of 1968. Wow. The night I got saved, the Lord said, I'm going to send you around the whole world with the gospel. I said to him, bad chance. But I wore out more passports than you could pick up. God means what he says, doesn't he? So he's so faithful. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. But I'm enjoying life. (laughs) Nearly everybody I ran with then, they either got saved or they're dead. Nearly everybody I ran with then, they either got converted or they're dead. No middle ground. No just growing old. The the way of the transgression is hard. The devil wants to kill people. You serve him, you won't last long. Well, anyway. One of my friends, good Lord, then I'm through with this story. One of my friends, he was the most handsome guy. He could have been a movie star, so help me. Gorgeous looking man, honestly, and he was, anyway... I'm preaching a meeting. I'm I'm saved. I'm driving that Bronco I told you about. I'm driving it down. Going to the meeting, it's loud, and I hear a horn blowing, and I look over the other window, and there's Jimmy driving this this sports car. We pull over in the parking lot of a store, and I get out, and uh, I hadn't seen Jimmy in years. I mean this guy, and he had married a a money, an all-man's daughter, had more money than you could imagine could have bought anything in the world and married the, the oil man's daughter, had this wonderful sports car, opened the console, there was cocaine, there was wild turkey and all kind of stuff, and he run a line across it. and I said, nope, I don't do that anymore. I've given my heart to Jesus Christ. I'm serving him, and he's the real deal. And I talked to Jimmy about Jesus sitting there in the car, and here's what he told me. Listen to me. He said, If that's what you want, you go your way, I'll go mine. And I patted him on the shoulder, got out of his car, and he wiped the cocaine out from under his lip and drove off. He goes back to Middleton, Texas, the middle of Texas down there, the oil country, and uh, his wife was being unfaithful to him with another man. He walks into a club cocks a shotgun, shot his wife's head off, turned it around and shot his head off. The last words I heard him say was, you go your way, I'll go mine. I'm telling you guys, serving the devil is a high cost. Serving God is nothing. It's our reasonable service. Wow. Jimmy's in hell. He could have been in heaven. Wow, so we've got to be faithful to share the gospel, haven't we? Well, good. I'd love to see him saved. My other friend Chester, oh, Chester had a beard down along the side. He used to tie it behind his head when he ride the motorcycles. Now he's got a gray beard. It's still down to his belt. If you want to see a redneck, look up Chester Kennedy. He got his beard caught in a pea sheller. Yes! I mean, if that don't qualify you to be a redneck, they ain't no redneck. In Texas, they got an automatic pee sheller. It's like a washing machine rotor. It's got little things, and you put the pee in there, and it spins around and pushes a piece out. So Chester's wife, Lorraine, y'all didn't remember her. Lorraine was riding the Kubota tractor out in the yard with headphones on, listening to George Strait mowing the yard, and Chester is pee shelling. And Chester's beard Gets in the peace sheller, and he can't get to the shutoff switch, and it's pulling him through like that. And he's screaming, ah! Ah! Lorraine is on the tractor, chilling out with George Strait. (laughs) And finally she hears Chester screaming. She runs in there, and this peace sheller is pulling Chester into it by the beard like this. And guess what Lorraine said? Hold it! i got to get my phone! we got to get this on video! Now, where's reality TV when you need something like that? You've got to be a redneck if your beard's caught in a pea sheller and your wife wants to film it. Yeah. Thank God. You might say, what about Chester? Well, we got in a knife out and the guy cut his nose off. Started here, went all the way here, his nose fell down to his belt. Look out! Yeah, three o'clock in the morning. So we picked Chester up and threw his nose and face back on, tied a blanket around him Off through the hospital we go. Three o'clock in the morning, you get Chester's nose sewed back on. Every time his heart beats, sounded like he poured five gallons of, yeah, boy. we get there. And I can't tell you exactly what the doctor said, but something like, gee whiz, I can't sew this on. I go, I can't either. 3 a.m. in the morning, he sewed Chester's nose on with the thing like you sew a feed sack. Sewed his whole face back together. Yes. Chester's still living. Google him. Sewed his nose back on, and it ended up so perfect. Didn't attach any ligaments or anything. It ended up so perfect. Later on, they carried him to Houston to these uh, plastic surgeons, and they were amazed. So you're supposed to tie the muscles back together. But isn't that something? Chester. Got his nose cut off. It fell down like you'd drop the flap on the tailgate of a truck or something, you know. That's how he grew up. Oh, man. I get to thinking. It's a wonder we made it. But here's the deal. God's got a plan. And if you just let him, he'll work it out. Well, I want to pray for you. I know you want prayer from somebody like me. <laughs> but honestly, uh, I'm probably one of the happiest people you've ever seen. I'm serious. I'm happy from the inside out. I tried all that other mess. That ain't happiness. You come off of that, you're lower than you were when you went up. This gets better every day. Oh boy. Okay, let's find out. Is there anybody in this room that's never given their heart to Jesus Christ? Greatest miracle you can ever see as a believer is somebody to get born again. That's better than seeing a dead person raised. It's better than seeing an arm grow out or an eye pop in. Greatest miracle you can ever witness is a lost soul coming to Christ. Is there anybody here that can? absolutely say, Bobby, I have never really given my heart to Christ. I've heard about him, but I don't know him. I don't know for sure if my heart stopped, I'd be in heaven tonight. If you're here, you can go out of these doors absolutely sure that Jesus is in your heart and your name is written in heaven if you're honest enough to ask him into your heart. All that come to him, he'll in no wise turn away. He'll save you if you will come to him. But nobody in this room can do it but you. I've had young people say, well, you know, my friends are here. Don't go to hell for your friends. Don't go to hell for anybody. You say, well, this is a Christian meeting. Oh, listen, I've seen pastors get saved. I've been in the meetings preaching when pastors got saved. Wow. See, how do you get saved? First of all, you've got to realize you're lost. What do you have to do to go to hell? Nothing. Stay just like you're born. That's all you've got to do to go to hell. Now, don't go out of here and say, Bobby Connor believes that babies go to hell. You'll never hear the whimper of a baby in hell. They're safe. But once you reach that moment of accountability, from that moment on, you're lost. You say, when does that happen? Some say, 12, oh, listen. Listen, I know a 12-year-old that killed his whole family. That's past the age of accountability, wouldn't you think? I think so. I'm telling you, the age of accountability is the moment you realize you're a sinner and you need Christ. It comes at an early age now. Kids are not kids like they were when we were growing up, they are maturing. Even doctors are stunned at their development. Physically, wow, so something's going on. But anybody here want to get saved? If you just raise your hand, don't be ashamed. Bible said if you're ashamed to confess him before men, he will be ashamed to confess you before his Father in heaven. Anybody in here, you can get saved now. One day you'll say, oh, man, I wish I'd have listened. You know for sure if your heart stopped, you'd be in heaven. Well, let me ask you this. If, that's, if you say yes, let me ask you, are you living like you should? Or do you need this recalibration? Do you need to come back to God and say, God, I've got some things in my life I don't want there. All you've got to do is confess it to him. I don't need to hear it. pastor don't need to hear it. He's the mediator. Right. There's mediate, one mediator between God and man, that man Christ. Now, it is good to have somebody to talk to and counsel with, but that's not the answer. The answer is getting your forgiveness from him. And I promise you, he will forgive you, and he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I love Isaiah 1, 18. Come on now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Is there anything you want to give up? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because, listen, it's between you and God. That's right. But if you'll ask God, you say, well, Bobby, i got some problems with pornography. You cannot imagine how rampant that is in the body of Christ, male and female. Pornography now is predatory. It's searching for you. You don't have to look for it. And let me tell you, you say, well, I'm an adult. I can, I can filter. No, you can't. You can't handle it. Let no thing like that come through these gates. If it comes through this gate and this gate, it'll get down here and it'll act out here. So if you have a problem, ask him to take it from you. There has no temptation taking you, but what is common to man. And God will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but he will make a way to escape. He'll take it from you if you'll let him. Wow. You say, Well, Bobby, I've got some problems with addiction. Wow. I know how that feels. You get to take the, the video I talked about. It's a CD, a call from birth. You'll find out when I came home, they tied me in bed, and I begged my brother to kill me. I was on dope. They tied me in the bed with bed sheets and bathed me off for days with alcohol and ice cubes. Every hair on me would be on fire. I would begged my brother to shoot me in the head. Crazy, crazy. But uh, one morning I woke up, and I was hungry isn't that crazy and uh, even in that the devil got in it I kicked the drugs with the help of my sister and my brother they stayed up 24-7 for days bathing me off that morning I woke up I was okay from the withdrawals of drugs so I'm going to go to town hadn't been in town for a long time and my mother was ironing my blue jeans. There's something tomorrow's Mother's Day. My mother's in heaven, but she was ironing my blue jeans. And big old tears would run down her cheeks and they would fall on the blue jeans. And even standing here tonight, I can hear as harm would go Sst, over the tears of my mother ironing my blue jeans. And I said to my mother, an ironing board between us, I said, Mama, why are you crying? Because I was getting ready to go to town. I hadn't been to town in a long time. I'd been tied in bed. But I, was, I wasn't i was sick from drugs anymore. And I told my mother. She said, Bobby, don't go to town. There's something about a mother. There's something in them. An intuition that uh, is undeniable. She said, Bobby, please don't go to town. And I, I mocked her. I slapped her on the shoulder. And I said, Mama, dang, can't you see I've kicked drugs? I've. I've kicked drugs. I put on those blue jeans, put me on a nice shirt. I took off to town, cranked up a fast car. I went to Athens, Texas. I wasn't in Athens, Texas, fifteen minutes till I'm back behind the B and B cafe with a needle in my arm and the fire of drugs running through me. I'm arrested, put in jail. I'm standing at the bar. My mother comes up the next morning. She's standing right there. And she said, can't you ever quit? And I said to her, no, no, I can't. That's when I made up my mind. This is all I'm going to do. It was during that time when I got let out of jail, I met Carolyn. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Got born again the fall of 1968. I mean, genuinely born again. Drugs left. I went to places and apologize and uh, tried to make things right that we had done crazy. But anyway, God's got a plan. Now, you don't have to be a wife-beater and a dope addict to need Jesus. You just need Jesus. But he wants you to come into his family. Well... Anyway, I hope you'll order that thing. I tell the whole rancid story. Good Lord. I'm telling you, just to be quite frank, I'm a walking miracle. Fell out of a tree, cut my guts out. They fell on the floor just like you'd gutted a deer. Crazy stuff, man. Shot, knifed. But see, if God be for us, yeah, I'm alive because people prayed. My sister, she's the she's only one in my family living now. Uh, good gracious. You talk about something. Well, anyway, I've spilled the beans. Yeah. You believe he's got a good plan for you? You believe his plan's better than you can make for yourself? What you need to do is spend some time, not in petition, but in praise. Most of our prayer life is, oh, God, I need... Wouldn't it be wonderful if we just came to praise him and thank him for what he's done? If you want to get his attention, come before him with praise. All of us have things to praise him about. We I love when Pastor was praying, we talked about listen, we need to thank him just for the freedom we have. We live as kings. We do. You said, man, I'm good. No, we live as kings. Isn't that something? Well, Heidi. Well, let me pray. Okay. Father, I want to thank you that you're a good, good God. I want to thank you. Your ways are perfect. I pray for every person in this room. I pray that we'd make the right choice. And that right choice is saying yes to you. I pray to those that listen and watch by media. God, I pray you'll stir hearts. I pray for those that feel hopeless and they feel like that nobody loves them. that There's no way out of the trap they're in. I pray this prayer over them. I pray this verse right now. I waited patiently upon the Lord. He inclined unto me, heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a solid rock. He established my goings. He put a new song in my heart. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust the Lord. Lord, I pray that will be a living reality with everyone watching and those that hear. Lord, let them see they can't Fall in a pit so deep that your grace can't reach out and pull them up and set them on a, a solid pathway. So, God, have your way with our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, uh, I'm going to the book table. And so uh, do what y'all do, and we'll see you in the morning if you can. Uh, we're gonna, I, I'm not going to announce what I'm going to preach about because I announce about it and run all the way around everywhere else. Wow. All right. Well, thank you. Let's give it up for Bobby. It was awesome.